0: Midnight facts for insomnia. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. My Scrooge McDuck dreams are still in effect.
1: I go for it, bro.
0: Yeah, the problem with the Scrooge McDuck thing—I don't know if we talked about this before—but like, you can't dive into money; you would just bash your head open. You also, it turns out, you can't uh, swim through it and then uh, spit it out in a big fountain. So weird. So weird. That's a real disappointment. Yeah, I'm sure. Hey, Duncan. Hey, man. Oh, wow. No Yelp. I mean, I can give you a Yelp if you're missing it. It was a Yelp-free intro. I don't know. I'm shocked. (laughs) I don't know how to proceed. So this time, I thought we'd do something different, go a different route, and not plug the Discord shamelessly.
1: What, What Discord?
0: I am referring to the Discord chat room, the one that you can access via the show notes or Instagram, the Discord, which is how we're choosing topics now via voting in Discord. Definitely not talking about that. The Discord with a bunch of really great, silly, wacky people hanging out, talking smack and having a great time. So not mentioning that. That's the Discord that we're not going to advertise on this episode. We don't want to be those guys. So we're going to jump right in. Yeah. This episode was chosen
1: by Discord. (laughs) We weren't talking (laughs) the fucking Discord.
0: It's not a plug, just a statement of fact.
1: Okay. I'll let that slide.
0: (laughs) This is fun for me. I'm enjoying this. (laughs) honestly this was voted on by the discord but this was initially suggested by adam via email okay he is from texas by the way and shout out to texas the state with the second highest number of insomniacs really in america the state with the most downloads is california makes sense Hmm. but after that is texas get there all right we have mocked texas in the past i take it all back i don't we mock everyone in fact if we don't mock you feel left out that's fair i want to visit texas sometime austin probably but if you're from texas and there are places i don't know about that would be really cool just you know what better if you live in texas tell me where not to go that's even more important when everyone's like tell me where to go it's just like tell me where i should not, avoid yeah. yeah yeah there's areas that are nothing but cat haters places with just a bunch of weirdos with snakes
1: but i like snakes
0: someday you're going to be a weirdo with a snake <laughs> right now you're just a weirdo without a snake you're an aspiring snake weirdo
1: my wife will one day allow me to be a snake weirdo as of this point i'm not allowed
0: hopefully right when you buy a child because that couldn't end badly
1: no no Wait, did i say buy a child you did because <laughs> you're a little twisted as well <laughs> was, holy all right. shit all right. right there miss jolie that was uh, a little off yeah i don't uh, know a little revealing to say about that mm-hmm. so get to it man what are we doing this time
0: well first off tell me what you know about the doomsday
1: clock Uh, it's big, it was in the Watchmen, and it has nothing to do with actual time.
0: It's not big because it's not real. Oh. So since 1947, a group of scientists who were involved in the Manhattan Project, the super-secret effort to create the atomic bomb, Mm -hmm. have been regularly releasing a publication known as the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. (laughs) really lamely named (laughs) pretty on the nose what should we call this bulletin fellow atomic scientists
1: (laughs) (laughs) why not call it like adam weekly or something i don't know something
0: they're scientists they're not creative types okay so the publication is intended to monitor man-made threats to human civilization and it includes an image of the aforementioned doomsday clock which sounds way more sinister and supervillain than it actually is Hmm. it's just a picture of a clock But the time on this imaginary clock indicates how close we are to catastrophe. Oh, sweet. The group monitors and measures existential threats, taking into consideration international crises and the worldwide state of human relations, setting the time on the clock accordingly. The closer the clock gets to midnight, the closer we are to an extinction event.
1: So not depressing at all. Got it. Right.
0: When the clock was first created in the wake of World War II back in 1947, after the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, as the Cold War dawned, the time was set at seven minutes to midnight. Hmm. It has changed 24 times since then in response to world events. In 1991, the clock was set to its least threatening level ever, a relatively comforting 17 minutes to midnight. Wow, almost a quarter of
1: an hour away. <laughs> Relatively. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'd prefer like 3 p.m., but S- seriously. apparently that's not happening anytime soon. No. It's not on the menu. No. Not a lot of optimists among atomic scientists, it seems. Weird, that. Yeah, it's understandable. <laughs> you, you can go a lot of routes in the scientific community. Just <laughs> choose a specialty. If your chosen field of study is doomsday weapons, you're probably not a glass-half-full type of individual. Or you don't remain so for long. <laughs> Unless the glass is half full of war crimes. Or uranium. Whatever. As of right now, the doomsday clock sits at 100 seconds to midnight. Huh. The closest we've ever been to apocalypse. That explains my dosage in
1: antidepressants. That that makes a lot of sense. Okay. okay.
0: If you've been saving a nice bottle of champagne, maybe now's the time to bust that sucker open. Word. Just tell your mom you love her. <laughs> Start
1: checking off that bucket list. There you go. We got our bucket list, heroin-packed, rocked and ready to go.
0: Note that the clock only reflects man-made threats to civilization. Hmm. So COVID is not the explanation for the clock being the closest it's ever been to Armageddon.
1: Right. Unless you believe conspiracy theorists, in which case... Mm-hmm. Like that COVID is man-made. Right.
0: Yeah. Deep state. Sure. <laughs> the official explanation includes, quote, failure of world leaders to deal with the increased threats of nuclear war such as the end of the Intermediate-Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, the INF, mm-hmm. between the United States and Russia, as well as increased tensions between the U.S. and Iran, along with the continued neglect of climate change.
1: And I'm sure now the increased hostilities between China aren't helping. The increased hostilities between everyone, yeah. everywhere. Also individuals on the street. <laughs>
0: like, just increased hostility. So even setting aside a worldwide pandemic, this is a scary time. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the end of humanity, there are a number of possible culprits, but they all fall under two distinct umbrellas. Anthropogenic risks, which are Mm man-made, or non-anthropogenic, which are not man-made and have no anthropogen whatsoever. (laughs) Fully lacking in anthropogen. I don't know how that word works, but that's my assumption. If you say something with enough confidence... Yes, then...
1: It's the same as being right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: When we think of anthropogenic risks, we typically think of war or environmental pollution and climate change. And when we think of non-anthropogenic, we think of unprovoked threats like an asteroid or volcano. But non-anthropogenic doesn't necessarily mean the aggressor has to be inanimate. It doesn't have to be nature. Hmm. An alien invasion would be non-anthropogenic. We didn't cause it to happen.
1: But didn't we? Didn't we when our in our UFO or whatever the the Fermi one where we're like, no, dude, shh, why why would you do that?
0: Maybe some rogue scientists have been taunting space, just <laughs> faxing pictures of their butts to the Crab Nebula. I was gonna say
1: just random memed dick pics. Probably not faxing.
0: No. I mean, that's not the you just technology dated there, would... I don't think that's interstellar technology. I'm not an atomic scientist, mm-hmm. but. I think faxing probably doesn't reach that far. It does seem to have a limited range. So let's start by discussing anthropogenic events, the ways that we might off ourselves, and then we'll go back and forth. Sweet. In 2008, Oxford University hosted a global catastrophic risk conference, and the attendees who were surveyed estimated approximately a 20% chance that the human race would destroy itself before the year 2100. Hmm. I want to point out that we're talking about a survey of people attending a catastrophic global risk conference.
1: Biases run a bit thick in this crowd. (laughs)
0: 20% chance that pigs will fly, say attendees of the Flying Pigs Conference. (laughs) There's a bit of confirmation bias at play, but that doesn't mean these people are wrong. No. They're a little depressing. They're not fun at parties, but that doesn't mean they can't predict a good disaster.
1: All right, everyone, let's get out of here. Dr. Adler's on about his end of the world bit again. You know how, like, at a conference,
0: you have to, like, sign up for all the little lectures? Right. I'm going to attend the zombie virus lecture. Well, whoever attended was hopefully a little more prepared. Because, mm. you know, they've been having this for a while. So someone was like, told you so.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that convention is pretty much everyone waiting and getting all of their, like, say in. So when it finally does come, half of them just gets to turn to the other one and go, Ha! <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: So the conference attendees also ranked the various potential threats to civilization based on the percentage likelihood of those events occurring. Mm. The top two were tied at 5% each, artificial intelligence and molecular weapons nanotechnology. The next most likely was war at 4%. Hmm. Seems low.
1: Yeah. Humans
0: are very feisty.
1: I mean, considering the fact that we've managed to make more war than we have robots ever... Yeah. It would seem to me that that would rank a bit higher.
0: Next was pandemic at 2%. Again, low, I feel. <laughs> Considering this was back in 2008, though. Mm. And remember, those guys were at a conference. There were still conferences. Right. With people sitting close together and breathing each other's air with naked
1: faces. Downright pornographic, if you dig at modern times. I'm shocked if I see a naked face in public. Yeah, it's like a boob. Uh, Yeah, I'd probably be more comfortable seeing someone starting to nurse a baby than see someone's naked face. then the baby's face is naked, though.
0: Naked baby face. That's like it sounds pedophilic. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Satanic, pedophilic, be specific. Gotcha. But it's actually totally possible that these guys are correct regarding the low risk of a humanity-ending pandemic. We are all just a little sensitive right now. Mm. As we've seen in the past, and unfortunately to a smaller extent very recently, a global pandemic is more likely to thin the herd of humanity than to actually wipe us out entirely. So in case these scientists sound like a bunch of alarmists, true story, the 2016 annual report by the Global Challenges Foundation Estimates that an average American is more than five times more likely to die during a human extinction event than in a car crash. Jesus. The reason is that, first off, it's relatively unlikely that you'll die in a car crash, even if you experience one. Yay, seatbelts. Mm. But in an extinction-level event,
1: your chances of dying pretty good. <laughs> one would say 100% considering the aforementioned human extinction event. You're more
0: likely to survive a fender bender than a nuclear holocaust.
1: Or say a comet the size of Texas, yes.
0: And look, extinction events aren't as unlikely as you might think. We have come closer than most people know. Hmm. Which brings us to nuclear war. There have been some extremely close calls as the result of diplomatic breakdowns and even closer ones due to hardware errors and malfunctions.
1: The latter definitely has my My full support. I'm less likely to believe in human error than I am in technological screw-up. I was like, you support malfunctions or you're just in favor of them? Totally in favor. Two thumbs up for... Catastrophic
0: radiation. Yay. Yay! And because every nation is justifiably terrified of attack, and these attacks happen so quickly, decisions have to be made within instance. So like Russia accidentally launches a nuke, or America does, or a country inaccurately believes that another country launched a nuke, it is game on. Mm-hmm. Like irradiated falling dominoes, more and more countries would be drawn into the fake conflict as a result of automated responses. That's a big problem with these systems, mm. and the world could easily descend into a nuclear holocaust by accident.
1: Fun, fun. Enjoy the rest of your evening. No, I was gonna... <laughs> just
0: sit with that. Trigger warning. Bit late. So you want some examples? Oh goody! I cannot friggin' wait. My anxiety is at a solid 8.5. I think we can edge it up. Let's go 9.8. This is like one of those carnival swing the hammer games. (laughs) Yeah. I want to see if we can ring the bell. (laughs) I don't.
1: I'm stuck in a small room (laughs)
0: with you. Jesus. So in 1956, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD, detected and reported a possible Russian offensive attack. And this alert was triggered in part based on a wedge of swans flying over Turkey. (laughs) Who hasn't made this very basic mistake? Is that a cluster of fiery missiles raining death from above or some birds?
1: Who can say? I mean, it's really easy to mistake the two. It's true.
0: On October 5th, 1960, quote, radar equipment in Thule, Greenland, mistakenly interpreted a moonrise over Norway as a large scale Soviet missile launch.
1: Isn't Thule like a Lovecraftian demigod or something? Why would you name a city after that? That's my first problem with the Ask story. Greenland. Okay. And then the second part is moonrise? What? Why, why moonrise? No one's perfect.
0: <laughs> Let he without sin cast the first missile. <laughs> there were a bunch of close calls and near disasters during the Cuban Missile Crisis of mm-hmm. 1962. That is a horrifying incident. I'm sure we'll cover it in the future. Let's just leave it at that for now. We almost all died. In 1967, a solar flare was misinterpreted as prelude to a Soviet attack. And the United States came within a hair's breadth of launching a nuclear strike. Fun. Yeah, thanks a lot, son. (laughs) A source of all energy and life on Earth, also a giant prankster. In 1969, a drunk Richard Nixon initially ordered a nuclear strike against North Korea before the order was rescinded by Secretary of State Henry Kissinger
1: think that's the only time in my life i will ever be able to say thank you henry kissinger that actually makes me angry for
0: having to feel thankful yeah for henry kissinger yeah, yeah a decade later the year 1979 was an absolute nightmare of norad fuck-ups and close calls like it is crazy that humanity made it to the 80s really the worst crisis involved a computer glitch at norad which caused it to report that russia had launched 2200 ballistic missiles Whoopsie! the president was initially informed that he had between three and seven minutes to react.
1: God damn.
0: Remember the movie War Games? Yeah.
1: Would you like to play a game?
0: I didn't know it was a fucking documentary. In 1995, quote, Russian systems mistook a Norwegian weather rocket for a potential nuclear attack. Russian president Boris Yeltsin retrieved launch codes and had the nuclear suitcase open in front of him. Like, in fairness, anytime you're going to launch a rocket,
1: just let someone know if you live within a hundred or 10,000 miles of a major nuclear power please let them know give your nuclear armed enemies a little heads up you don't go and blast off a, a starter pistol or a flare gun right next to the Crips next door who you know <laughs> own ak-47s yeah yeah it's just not just a, something you do it's a courtesy call yeah guys it's like
0: FYI we're we're launching a rocket into space it's not aimed at you guys. Although we are Norway and we don't have a stellar space program, so it may come down. We don't know exactly where it's going to come down. If it comes down in your country, that's our bad. But also be aware we don't have a nuclear program. Right. So maybe you shouldn't also be super worried about Norwegian rockets in the first place and maybe don't launch a response. <laughs> it can kill like three people.
1: Might take out a Volvo.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea that Russia was worried about a Norwegian missile attack. <laughs> That'd be like Canada invading the United States.
1: It's just it's more adorable than scary. Right. Really. Canada is invading the United States. <laughs> we'll call the National Guard. I think 10 will do. Their army has uh, moved up to horse technology. It's, it's true. So. They're only a few hundred years behind us. They are mounted now. Which, mm, hmm. And they're royals, apparently. They only take them from the upper echelons of society. So. Genghis Khan did take over like the entire world with a few horses. I mean, the part that's always missing from that sentence is at the time. That story would have ended differently is what you're saying. Yes. yes. Maybe we'll find out.
0: Your move, Canada. <laughs> so there are more examples, but I think we get the idea. <laughs> It's not just America and Russia that we have to worry about either. There are officially five countries that are allowed to have nuclear weapons. The United States, France, the UK, Russia, and China are the states that are officially able to possess nuclear weapons. This is because in 1970, 43 countries signed the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, the NPT, which stated that it was forbidden for any country to develop nuclear weapons unless that country already had them.
1: So essentially, the big kids in the block were like, okay, 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 okay. Nobody else gets guns. We're not even trustworthy ourselves.
0: This treaty was very popular with countries that already had nuclear weapons, and the other countries, they didn't have nuclear weapons. So what the fuck were they going to say about it? (laughs) I love that this happened. It's just so nakedly cynical and unfair. It's like if all the world's rich people got together and collectively decided, no more rich people. Nobody else gets to be rich.
1: And, you know, if you don't like it, you can take it up with our large armies. And our lawyers.
0: Yes. It just, you know, you having money, that just wouldn't be safe. No. You want a million dollars? You can't handle a million dollars. <laughs> you could have $999,999. If you try to earn one more dollar,
1: we will crush you. Someone throws a dollar at you from across the street. You bet a duck like they just threw a grenade at your head. We will crush you with our money. With, with our bank accounts. Heaps of gold coins and bullion. We will damage your skull with our wallets.
0: <laughs> True story. A few weeks ago, I realized I didn't know what bullion is. I didn't really? know. Yeah. Hmm. I Googled it. Uh, it is gold or silver in bulk. Hmm. And also Google suggested answers to common bullion related questions. Such as, uh, is there any limit on how much gold I can own? Hmm. Which is something a lot of people are actually asking Google. And the answer, according to OnlyGold.com, no, there are no restrictions on private gold ownership in the United States. You're limited only by your budget and common sense. (laughs) (laughs) It's well put. Words of wisdom. Truly. My Scrooge McDuck dreams are still in effect. I Go for it, bro. Yeah, the problem with the Scrooge McDuck thing, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but, like, you can't dive into money. You would just bash your head open.
1: You can't swim <laughs> through you're it. you're mansplaining this. You're looking at me really seriously in the eyes. You're like, dude, I know you've been blending this for a while. Don't dive into that puddle full of coins. I really thought it was like
0: a ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese at some point. I was just like, this would be fun to bathe in my gold. And you can't. You can't even, like, throw it up in the air. It would hurt. You can't do all the
1: i love that you're saying this so seriously you can't
0: throw change up in the air and just be under it
1: that would hurt
0: no shit you also it turns out you can't uh, swim through it and then uh, spit it out in a big fountain so
1: weird so weird
0: that's a real disappointment
1: yeah i'm sure because everyone wants to put dirty ass coins in their fucking mouth i think that's how COVID happened yeah,
0: yeah. licking too many freaking pennies so in addition to the five countries that declared themselves allowed to have nuclear weapons. Oh yes. There are other countries that developed weapons covertly and no longer conceal their capabilities, like India and Pakistan and North Korea. And finally, there are states that are known to have nukes but won't admit it. Well, state mm. actually Israel has been suspiciously quiet whenever this subject comes up. <laughs>
1: nuclear what? What what nuclear? What? what? No, no. I can't understand you, Gentile. Speak more quickly. so strange with your accent. I don't understand
0: what you mean. So there are a bunch of countries that have nuclear capabilities. And you might have noticed that some of these states on this list don't get along great. So weird. North Korea and America. China and America. Mm -hmm. Russia. And
1: uh, say it with me. Everyone. America. Oh, America. Okay, got it.
0: Sorry. But seriously, it's not just us. Pakistan and India have historically had a frosty relationship. Also, uh, France. And no one cares about France. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. They don't have the guts to start a war. France isn't doing shit.
1: No. They might might help end it. I mean, they're real good once the revolution starts. I'm kidding. I wouldn't want to insult
0: France. They have nuclear weapons. I'm not messing with France. They might uh, smoke a cigarette and write poetry at me. <laughs>
1: And mock my pronunciation. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I have nukes. Well, do you? I'm not scared of France. Yeah, I'm not either. How sad is it
0: that a country has nuclear weapons and is not intimidating in the slightest? (sighs) Yeah. Sorry, France.
1: Sorry, France. Ain't nobody scared of you. Good food. Nom, nom, nom,
0: nom, nom. Of course, there are other nations that we have to worry about. Iran is famously flirting with a nuclear program which makes Israelis feel super comfortable, probably as uncomfortable as I feel after researching this episode and knowing how close we've come to utter annihilation.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Something about the the instability of the Middle East in general and having thermonuclear weapons just makes me vastly uncomfortable.
0: So we've covered nuclear war. Yeah. Let's switch over to a non-anthropogenic event. Mm-hmm. When we talk about the threat of asteroids, what we're really talking about is the threat of a so-called impact event. Mm. which sounds very nonspecific. Stubbing Your Toe, technically an impact event. (laughs) I think we should come up with a new name that properly conveys the magnitude of the threat. Mm. Just a boom-splode murder
1: rock cataclysm (laughs) event. You know, you're usually not very good at naming things, but I like that. (laughs) Boom-splode murder rock event? I like it. It feels accurate. Maybe we can shorten it to just boom-splode. Yeah, uh, boom-splode. Boom-splode. All right, boom-splode event.
0: Okay. Impact events haven't all been catastrophic, actually. No. Some have been fortuitous. There is a good chance that water arrived on Earth by hitchhiking on comets and meteoroids and arriving via boom-splode cataclysms.
1: <laughs> this is going to make the rest of this episode so much easier to deal with. <laughs> so in the early days
0: of the Earth, these impacts were often a good thing. Mm-hmm. Asteroid strikes were common in the early days of our solar system when space was full of debris, Planets and stars would act like magnets or vacuums, just sweeping through space and absorbing all of the cosmic chunks of dirt, melding into larger celestial bodies as a result. Yeah. Now that most of the cosmic debris has been absorbed, in modern times, those massive impacts are extremely rare. Yes. In any given year, scientists tell us that there is a 0.1% chance that an asteroid big enough to annihilate a city will strike the Earth. And if such an impact were to happen, based on geography, there is a 70% chance that the asteroid would land in the ocean. Ah, uh-huh. Which could still be bad. Tsunamis, not a fan. Mm-mm. But, you know, way less bad than if it landed on Manhattan. Okay. Or even worse, you know, my house. <laughs> an ocean landing is a best case scenario unless you're on a boat. Again, the best case scenario, wherever you aren't. By a long ways. On the other hand, the chances of an extinction level boom-splode, <laughs> e.g. an asteroid larger than five kilometers, has a less than terrifying point zero 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 one percent chance of occurring. Not super scary, but, you know, tell that to the dinosaurs. Yeah. You can't, because... There are no dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah. But we have chickens, which are pretty close. Also, you couldn't, because, you know, they never developed a language. They were, They were stupid. <laughs> doesn't make it less tragic that they died. Maybe it does. I don't know.
1: <laughs> you are pretty intellectually <laughs> elitist. I don't know.
0: <laughs> but a cataclysmic asteroid impact has happened before... And over the massive span of time, it will probably happen again. Yeah, yeah. Luckily for us, our lifespans are infinitesimally short on a universal scale. Truly, like mayflies we are. Lucky for us, question mark? Yay, life is fleeting. (laughs) So getting smacked by an asteroid in your lifetime would be extremely improbable. It's the equivalent of winning the world's most unlikely lottery. And least helpful. Shittiest lottery ever. Back to anthropogenic threats. Yes. Artificial intelligence. Oh, buddy. The good news is that we're a lot farther from true artificial intelligence than most people probably realize. And we have a whole episode on this, so we're going to keep this one super short. Cool. Siri and Alexa are idiots. They react to basic commands with simple operations. Uh, Even the highly touted machine learning that we hear so much about in tech advertisements is meh. (laughs) This is incremental progress. Okay. Right now, we are much better at faking artificial intelligence than truly creating it.
1: Kind of like humans are really good at faking intelligence, but when it comes right down to it... That's uh... true. We're good at faking natural intelligence. Yes.
0: So it is spectacularly unlikely that humans will be capable of creating a true artificial intelligence anytime soon. But that doesn't mean we're out of the woods, because humans most likely won't be the ones to create AI. No? No. The real power of machine learning algorithms is the learning part. For instance, an emerging technology known as evolutionary computation. Engineers are designing algorithms that are built to improve over time, to essentially refine their own code. We talk about this a lot in the AI episode. And they even build their own improved algorithms. Oh, right. Robots building
1: robots. I remember this now.
0: We are designing the designers of AI. Mm. This is called neuroevolution, and it's going to kill us all. There's that sunny disposition
1: once again. Rearing its head.
0: I'm not worried about a mad scientist creating AI. I am worried about an algorithm creating a smarter algorithm that creates an even smarter algorithm in a process that accelerates exponentially and creates a mad scientist algorithm and boom, Skynet.
1: Gotcha. And that actually sounds way more plausible. Back to non-anthropogenic threats.
0: Yes. Here's one that might surprise you. Let's start with a specific example. Did you know that one of the most deadly threats to the Earth is a giant tourist attraction?
1: No. Disneyland Disneyland no okay I was gonna say I mean that makes so much sense but wow (laughs) to have it confirmed it's surprising I'm actually referring to the Grand Canyon oh no that's
0: just a hole in the okay now you're just being a dick (laughs) you realize I'm that gullible the Grand Canyon is only an existential threat if you are really clumsy
1: (laughs) it's so big and
0: beautiful Ah. I'm talking about Yellowstone National Park Oh, right. Famous for its mineral hot springs and pulsing geysers, like the iconic Old Faithful. Yellowstone sits on top of a supervolcano, capable of erupting at any time and precipitating a literal extinction-level event. Fun. I recommend a great book by Bill Bryson called A Short History of Nearly Everything, in which he describes a conundrum that was facing geologist Bob Christensen in the 1960s. Quote, It had been known for a long time that Yellowstone was volcanic in nature. That's what accounted for all its geysers and other steamy features. And the one thing about volcanoes is that they are generally pretty conspicuous.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But Christensen couldn't find the Yellowstone volcano anywhere. In particular, what he couldn't find was a structure known as a caldera. Mm -hmm. You know how every volcano has a caldera. It's the giant hole that results from eruption. Yeah. By coincidence, just at this time, NASA decided to test some new high-altitude cameras by taking photographs of Yellowstone. As soon as Christensen saw the photos, he realized why he had failed to spot the caldera. Virtually the whole park, 2.2 million acres, was caldera. The entire 2.2 million acre Yellowstone National Park is the supervolcano's blast zone. (laughs) Imagine a pile of TNT about the size of Rhode Island and reaching 8 miles into the sky— to about the height of the highest citrus, citrus clouds. Citrus clouds.
1: <laughs> those are the tastiest clouds. I, I love the, those clouds.
0: This is the best thing about Yellowstone Park. Citrus clouds? Citrus clouds that just rain hydrochloric acid. <laughs> That's not the acid that comes no, from citrus. Citric acid. <laughs> Brother <Actually>. citric acid. <laughs> Absolute genius here. <laughs> to about the height of the highest cirrus clouds. Mm. Unrelated to citrus. Citrus clouds. There are no lemons involved. <laughs> Yellowstone is the largest active volcano in the world. Hmm. And over the last 17 million years or so, it is estimated to have blown at least 100 times. Quote, the Yellowstone eruption of 2 million years ago put out enough ash to bury New York State to a depth of 67 feet, or California to a depth of 20. And ash, it is worth remembering, is not like a big snowfall that will melt in the spring. If you wanted to grow crops again, you would have to find some place to put all the ash. It took thousands of workers eight months to clear 1.8 billion tons of debris from the 16 acres of the World Trade Center site in New York. Imagine what it would take to clear Kansas. I'd rather not. Thanks, though. I'm <laughs> huh? lazy. I don't want to think about it. I'm that's, cool. That's what this episode is all about. <laughs> Just imagine some shit that you don't ever want to think about. And here's and some you more. You picked this shit. Jesus. <laughs> Quote, the cycle of Yellowstone's eruptions averaged one massive blow every 600,000 years. The last one, interestingly enough, was 630,000 years ago.
1: Of course, you would bring that fact <laughs> up. You miserable bastard. Uh, we're overdue. Oh, dude. I'm drinking so much whiskey when I get home. My yeah. wife has i blaming you. Any day now. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. We should check out Yellowstone while it's still, you know, intact. N- not explodey. Well, it's not a boom explode yet. <laughs> Now, boom is from outer space. We're going to have to go with a different one. This is an Earth-based boomspload. <laughs> there have been a lot of those. There have been a lot
0: of them. Many of them are bad. Oopsie! <laughs> and Yellowstone obviously isn't the only supervolcano. It's just mm-hmm. the biggest. Getting an accurate count is surprisingly difficult and varies based on the source, but there are currently between 6 and 20 supervolcanoes on the planet, depending on how you calculate including Toba in Indonesia and Long Valley in eastern California, near the Nevada border, 170
1: miles from this studio. Fantastic. High Priestess June, your days are numbered right (laughs) along with ours.
0: Yeah. We are located almost at the exact center point of a circle with a 150-mile radius between the San Luis Obispo nuclear reactor and the Long Valley supervolcano. This is a Venn diagram I want no part of. (laughs) We are right in the middle of... Mutesville. Yes. (laughs) Long Valley, like all super volcanoes, was formed when a magma pocket rose from the Earth's mantle toward the outer layer of the Earth, but couldn't break through the crust, and so it pooled in place, building in size and pressure. Eventually, that pressure will burst forth in an explosive release.
1: Sounds like just a big rocky abscess.
0: I thought it sounded weirdly sexual. Hmm. Bursting forth in an explosive release
1: you find my magma sexy? Mm. <laughs> it puts the magma on its skin. <laughs> oh, Straight to hell. All
0: right. We're going to breeze through the final extinction threats because, no, well, I'll explain. Let's take them one by one. Okay. Climate change. Yes. We're not going to talk about this one in depth because reasons. <laughs> Mostly because everyone knows. Yeah, we got it by now. It's... We're pretty. We're pretty clear. And if you don't believe in climate change, then you're just not interested in science and probably you're not a fan of this podcast. You're probably not listening right now
1: can confirm pandemic covered no one needs
0: to hear about this we have we actually have an entire episode on plagues and pandemics that i think is really interesting and if you're not suffering from wicked pandemic fatigue then go check that out or suffering from fatigue because you pandemic. have the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> i didn't quite know how to put that without being like a ah, fuck <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say it but it's yeah. possible yeah. Last, I want to point out that in a best-case scenario, even if we do manage to not explode ourselves or get hit by an asteroid or a superbug or a super supervolcano and we get climate change under control, in about a billion years, we'll be facing an event called the Great Deoxygenation, when oxygen levels on Earth sink to Archean levels pre-life.
1: Sounds fun. Don't think we'll make it that long without
0: leaving the planet. A few billion years later, the sun will die, Ballooning outward and engulfing the earth as a red giant before collapsing in on itself in its final form as a white dwarf, a dense ball of useless matter.
1: Like me. (laughs) I didn't say it. You thought it loud enough for me to pick it up. (laughs) So even
0: if the Doomsday Clock's current prediction is wrong, ultimately the concept is correct. Yeah. We are all on an inevitable march toward midnight. It is a fact. A
1: midnight fact, one might say.
0: And you're all welcome for that uplifting
1: episode. (laughs) And also, if you're ever on the Discord, maybe check out the mental health channel, which my wife (laughs) set up. Therapy is good. It is. I highly recommend it for all people. Even if you think you're totally sane, I guarantee you're not. Yeah. All right. So uh, the usual plugs will transpire in the following seconds. Three, two, one. Rate, rep, review. Go to wherever fine podcasts are sold and leave a review. Tell just one friend. In fact, after this episode, tell that one friend you really want to bring down off of their optimistic high horse. Just knock them down. Kneecap them with this episode. Then what you should do is head over to the Discord or at very least our Instagram and look at pictures and interact with other insomniacs and just enjoy yourself. But otherwise, as usual and forever after... Knowledge is power. Sleep is overrated.